Tim and Tom. Tim, we are in the early parts of June, which in my opinion is the dead of summer. Every day you are going to be doing something. Most likely you will be in shorts. So with that being said, what have you been up to in June 2018, the year of the new idea? That is interesting because it's not summer if you go by like the calendar and right where the cares? official seasons Look, are, right? But El, but yeah, El Nino has changed everything. Yeah, right. In 2000 or whatever that is, El Nino, which is basically the weather of unpredictability, has changed to where now we have snows in March, we have heat waves in October. Nothing is how it is according to a calendar that was made a thousand years ago. So, in my opinion, it is the dead of summer. Tim. Yeah, I feel like there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no middle. It's either winter, and then they go, all right, here's the. Some days it's going to be winter, some days it's going to be summer, and then all of a sudden just summer. Right? You're just like, wow, that that was quick. Uh, so we're here. Yeah. Uh, what have I been up to? Man, we went out. Uh, the wife and I, the wife, uh, went out. On the on the town, we went about the town uh, with her friend and, and a gentleman she's been seeing. Uh, went to his place down near the river market. We uh, went. Oh, uh, what? Say that again. What's that? A, a gentleman your wife has been seeing? No, my wife. Uh huh. Her friend. Oh, her friend. Gentleman. I missed that part. I was right. like, you are very casual with saying now your wife is dating another man. Right, yeah, no, I'm cool with it. 2018, yeah. do whatever you want. But oh, we didn't tell you about this? Yeah, no, um, no, uh, no. It's uh, her friend and a gentleman he's been seeing. And, you know, like uh, this is our first time meeting the guy in person. And uh, he lives down near the River Market. Uh, we went and grabbed a, a bite and, and a drink at a place real quick. But then, uh, you know what I did? I rode the streetcar for the first time. Tom, rode how the whole loop. What do you think? Uh, it was good. I like how it operates, man. It's quick. It's easy. Uh, you know where it's going. It's pretty clear. It's not too complicated, obviously. You know, it was crowded, man. It felt like they could use more of them. Yeah. And one thing that I've always found kind of disheartening a little bit, maybe that's the wrong word that I'm looking for, but uh, that's kind of how I felt um, while I was on the streetcar is like, normal cars are just passing you by. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm, oh, yeah. I just got an Uber then. But yeah, if but there were free. more, yeah, if it was, if there were more, I think, yeah, it would feel a little bit more, uh, hey, let's jump on that. Where sometimes I feel like, hey, if I'm going to get home, I don't necessarily need to take this thing. Where I find the streetcar to be really useful is, hey, we're going to have a day where we go from River Market to station uh union station and everywhere in between so let's just use this thing a hundred different times right well so that's kind of what we did is so he lives down there by the river market but we were going to go down to the crossroads to to grab by to eat and a drink and then so we did that and then we went back well we got on the wrong way going back so we ended up doing the whole loop because we decided to go down and then get on the other one turn back around so uh we went all the way back to this place and then we went to uh, at the after that we hung out for a while and then went to pride because it was right over in, in the riverfront park there, uh, which was yeah, a really fun time. It. Yeah, we did go to that. Uh, so right, we went. Let's tell us your recap. Give us the Tim and Tom Tim recap. Uh, it was fun. It, we were there for a short period of time, a couple hours. Uh, my wife, her friend, this gentleman, and then uh, a, a gentleman he knew and, and, and his girlfriend, I believe. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get that really quickly. Um, but we all went to pride and just hung out there. It was Friday night. Right. So it was, it was, there was a DJ going right and everybody's out dancing, having a great time. You know what I love about this event was, um, 
it's one of these where you don't feel like you go to these massive festivals and you, you get a lot of aggressive groups, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's none of that at this thing, right? Everybody's just there just trying to have a good time, at least, you know, that we ran into. Typical stuff that you will see with a festival is overpriced flat beer, uh, you know what I mean? Very minimal dietary options, uh, you know, things like that. But that's not what you're there for, I guess. Definitely some interesting costumes and, and stuff like that. Um, but that's the first time I've ever been to a Pride. You ever been to one of those? No. Uh, we live in the area, and for this weekend, we try to do everything outside of the area because we thought of how crazy it was going to be. So we live, uh, not to give you my exact address, but we live in the block of Missy B's. And we thought Pride Week, Missy B's, that's probably going to be a popping place for the weekend. And so we tried to do things outside of this area. We went up north, we went down south. Uh, So we didn't partake just because it it, it was hot once, (laughs) first of all, right? It was hot. It was hot. So. Yeah. And so second, with it being hot, we didn't want to be uncomfortable and then not know what we're doing. And there was nothing that like piqued our interest. Right. There was no like this band is going to be performing Saturday night. It was just like, yeah, it's a festival. Okay, cool. It wasn't like, hey, you have to check out, you know, for example, chain smokers are going to be performing. Oh, okay, I want to see them. I'll go. But Mm. there's none of that. So, yeah, we we didn't go, but uh, I will tell you this. The neighborhood uh, Facebook page, you know, yeah, uh, they were all like, this is the best. This is the greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was fun. Good for them. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a, a fun festival for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah. we had a good time, uh, had a few drinks, got to dance, and then basically left and, and called an evening there. And then, of course, Tom flooring, flooring, flooring had to redo uh, the first room that we'd laid down because we screwed up. We realized when we got to the end, we didn't do some math correctly. Go figure. And then, uh, you know, moving on, getting better at that. And then um, Sunday, we had a neighborhood picnic. Remember the man's breakfast that we talked about on the show before? Had to go yes. to the man's breakfast. This one is where the families were allowed, right? You could bring the wife and kids. Um, <laughs> no, I don't mean to say it like that. You know, uh, this one was so this was fun though neighborhood picnic all the area families got to meet a whole bunch of people we hadn't met yet since we've moved out here to the ranch just shy of a year ago and uh proud to say uh the gentleman had a patonk course i don't know if you've heard of this game uh anybody who's french feel free to tell me if this guy was blowing smoke up my you know what um but he says this is a french game and it's based i don't know it's got these steel balls and you're in a big like basically dirt patch right and there's a one ball they call the pig somebody throws that and then everybody's throwing these steel balls whoever gets the closest right gets the point and whatever and you know you're playing on teams and whatever uh and some of the neighbors were like oh i'm the best at this right like this is my game and so uh my wife and uh my neighbor adam adam the neighbor who was the one bragging right he says i'm gonna do this they're on a team and me and, and one of his friends are on another team and tom smoked them beat them uh easily handedly and so yeah. then i was there bragging the whole game like i'm patonk champion i'm just gonna there's no need to even you know i was like there's no need to even i'm just gonna retire at the top of my game here you know what i mean like not why even and he even brought up what we'll talk about later the nba finals he was like well you know there's a series and i was like yeah but that's basketball you got to play a series to know who's better you know this is clearly evident that i'm way better than you are you know um i think we won by one point to be honest with you but uh so that was hey, fun. wins a win right but then swim trunk my son we tell my daughter over at near the end of this thing that we, we were getting ready to go. We were like, hey, go find your brother and uh, tell him we got to go. And I hear her go, hey, we come here? 
Hayden's like bleeding on the floor in here. And I'm like, I say what? And so I go over there and sure enough, he's got his, he's laying on the ground. His, his foot is bleeding from his toe. And he was out there playing soccer in the yard with a bunch of the neighborhood kids. And he says, some kid stepped on his foot. And I was like, what happened? And turns out he was playing soccer barefoot, which Tom, you know, any dad, any any dad is going to tell you, don't do that, man. And I told him plenty of times, plenty of times. And sure enough, this is exactly why, you know, so there I am trying to not do that, right? Trying to not go, you see, you see, son, this is why, this is why I yell at you, right? You know what I mean? Like, I was like, so I'm trying not to do that. We get him out of there we get him cleaned up uh but we took him the next day because it was still hurting and doctor said yeah not necessarily broken but a little bit of separation at the uh, growth plate uh in the first bone he's like definitely gotta lay off the soccer for two weeks fun fact you're supposed to have soccer tryouts and soccer tryout camp all this week so now well he better do it oh uh, we can't the doctor's uh Why? well not cleared so i had to go there on the first day, and I was like, hey, uh, it's his kicking toe. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, like actively bleeding from under the nail. Um, so I was like, hey, listen, uh, A, paid a lot for this camp. B, uh, you know what I mean? Try out for this. Is there like a makeup tryouts or anything like that? And the guy was like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, look, what, what we'll do is we'll just, you know, he's like, email me. I was talking to the director of the program. So we emailed him, and they're going to work in, you know what I mean, uh, you know, workout, tryout, thing like that. So, but he was pretty bummed about that, right? All geared up, ready for the soccer, and then tried to play soccer barefoot. Tim and Tom, tip, don't play soccer barefoot. Don't play any sport barefoot. Here's a Tim and Tom tip that take at your own risk, but don't go to a doctor. (laughs) Just, it's okay. Put a Band-Aid, wrap it really hard. He could have played. You should (laughs) have let him. Listen you know to you. Times I, yeah. Who cares? Pain is temporary. Pride is forever. You want to be that number one overall pick. I was a number one overall pick in fourth and fifth grade in baseball. <laughs> and I still use that as a calling card. I had to be talked off and not putting that on my resume when I was applying for jobs. <laughs> I love that fact. That is the fact I'm going to take to my grade. Did, did Emily talk you out of that? Yes, but <laughs> she shouldn't have because that is awesome. And you need to let Swim Trunk be an eagle and spread his wings and fly. Just let him kick his toe right off if he's got to. Yeah, because then you know how cool of a story that is when you're 32? Walking all limpy and you're like, hey, what's wrong with this guy? Like, well, I lost my toe when I was a kid. How'd you do or, that? And you're like, or, I kicked so Or he could wait and heal and get better over time. Ooh. Get better Ooh. over time. <laughs> You know what I mean? No. That's impossible. is dumb. <laughs> no. That was the uh, calling card of our evening Friday, a bit tongue-in-cheek, was uh, responsibility, right? All of us that were out, we were like, well, as long as we stick to being responsible, right? Being the responsible adults that we all clearly are, right? Then we won't get in any trouble, right? So anytime somebody was like, hey, another drink, we were like, of course, responsibility, right? You know what I mean? So that was, uh, that was a fun time, right? Yeah, no, you should have let him. Swim trunk, if you're listening. Next time, suck it up. Don't let your dad see the bleeding and go to that tryout. Hey, but the the supplemental draft, then you're going to come in as a ringer, Swim Trunk. This is my – I'm talking to Swim Trunk here. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to come in, and the kids are going to be like, oh, this kid didn't try out, but he got his own personal tryout. He must be really good. Mm-hmm. And you go in there, and you kick the ball right in their face, <laughs> yeah. Swim Trunk. So that 
It's for you. Just and call yourself. Call yourself like Bleeding Toe or something like a like a Native American name. Like I, my name is Bleeding Toe, and that's no, just, yes. No, he's the Bionic Toe. Where it is that they gave him a stronger steel reinforced with Wi-Fi toe, right? It'll help aim the ball better. Yeah, that's what you should say, Swim Trunk. Right. You got Wi-Fi in your toe. Right. Yeah, you've got GPS. Uh, you know what I mean, and 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 propulsion. Uh, you know what I mean? Like automated propulsion added to the toe. You got a bionic toe. Yes, I like that. But seriously, <laughs> never tell your parents that you're hurt, ever. It's so stupid. Well, he was sitting there so bleeding from under his toenail, uh, and it didn't stop bleeding for a long time. It became pretty evident. We were like, yeah, something ain't right. So, you know what I mean? Yep. Do wear what? your sister's shoe. I said, wear a shoe. And if you have to, wear your sister's shoe. Just don't let them see you bleed. <laughs> yeah so yeah we ran out of there so i had to text them uh later i was like hey thanks for the invite uh was there any damage from the blood <laughs> man welcome to the neighborhood right i like it good yeah. you set a tone right we're rough we're tough and we will kick you in the face with a soccer ball with our wi-fi toes wi-fi toes hashtag wi-fi toes tim and tom all right, so Tom, what did you do? Man, you know, I really didn't do much. This was kind of a low-key weekend. Good. We did our Good Samaritan Deeds by donating to uh, the Goodwill. You know, I donated a bunch of old uh, clothing and uh, bed sheets and things like that. So we did that Good Samaritan thing. Good uh, for you. Mowed the yard, uh, which yes. is fine. Um, it wasn't really a lot of stuff going on this weekend. Um because we're gearing up for this coming weekend, and we've got some events for you in the third segment, so stay tuned for that. But however, if you're not wanting to get out, this Saturday, UFC on pay-per-view, main event, Robert Whitaker versus Yoel Romero. In the featured fight, not the co-main event, but the featured fight, Holly Holm of uh, Ronda Rousey knockout fame. Yep takes on the debuting from Australia, living in Kansas City, Megan Anderson. Yeah. So uh, this weekend was spent a lot of uh, just watching fights, watching um, some old fights, reminiscing like, oh, I remember this fight in 2010. Watch that. Oh, I remember this fight from 2012. Watching that. I also got a DVD pro wrestling note of the mini adventures of El Generico. And if oh, you don't yeah, know who okay. El Generico is, it's Sami Zayn. It was mm-hmm. his in- indie character uh, before he made it to WWE. Some fantastic matches. He's got a great match with Daniel Bryan, known as Brian Danielson on the indie scene, and that's his real name. Uh, Kevin Steen, who is now Kevin Owens. Uh, Kenny Omega, who's still Kenny Omega. Yeah. Some tag team matches with like the Young Bucks, who I hate, but they did well. Um, Not cool. It's a really fun DVD. It's really great time. Uh, so I watched that, watched some old fights. Also, jumping back to the UFC card, uh, if you have UFC Fight Pass, the featured fight on the UFC Fight Pass portion of this fight card uh, is going to be my broadcast partner from a few weeks ago when I called KCFA, Anthony Smith, as he makes his debut in the light heavyweight division, or excuse me, in the middleweight division. He was a light heavyweight, making his middleweight division debut against former light heavyweight champion, Sugar Rashad Evans. Okay. Yeah. Gonna, so got, gonna throw down the fisticuff. 
Yeah, and you know who's kicking off the pay-per-view portion of the card? I do not. Owen won Mike Jackson versus mm. Owen won <laughs> CM Punk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how quick is this one going to be over? Well, Mike Jackson sucks. Ah, uh, so this is a like, bum for for a bum. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to see. This, this is where we're honestly going to see if CM Punk is training like he should be because he is at one of the best schools in the world at Rufus Sport in Milwaukee. Uh, if he is really training like he should be training or if he's just doing Instagram training where it's, hey, I got a good sweat doing three rounds of 10 rounds. I'm going to take pictures with all the guys after we're all done and call that a day. So we're going to see. It Could he be training like he's supposed to be training and just still not be good? Well, so here's the thing. Well, yes, of course, you could not be good at anything that you you know really try at because just that's the look of the draw sometimes. Right. And with fighting, and this has happened millions of times, is you could be winning 14 minutes of a 15 minute yeah, fight, right? And then that last minute, the fight's over and you lost, right? Right. So the outcome is almost not important. In this regard, I just want to see, okay, so the first fight he had was against Mickey Gall. If you've been following the UFC and you've been following Mickey Gall's career, you've learned now that, like, that was not a fair fight because Mickey Gall is actually one of the better fighters as far as young prospects in all of UFC. Like, even if CM Punk had a few amateur fights and was, you know, 3-0 on the – independent circuit and then made it to the UFC. Like that's still a fight. He probably would lose to Mickey gall. Cause Mickey gall is that good. Okay. So that's not a good test to see how good CM Punk is. Okay. Mike Jackson is garbage. Okay. He was, <laughs> like I believe he was two and one as an amateur. Okay. He was and one as a pro, his only pro fight being against Mickey gall. Again, Mickey gall makes anyone look stupid, but Mike Jackson's amateur fights were just, wretched like beautiful or not beautiful very ugly like hurt your eyes bad it was not good yeah so if cm punk is training like we think he is okay he should win he should win but again he could win 14 minutes of a a 15 minute fight (laughs) yeah get caught with a big punch slip on a banana peel and get caught in a submission i saw i saw a friend of the show anthony shark bagateers not to bring up bad topics but uh, he was fighting, I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, he was beating the crap out of this guy, had him on the ground, and just for whatever reason got too close and got caught in a submission and was over. He got but an he- up kick. Well, he got an up kick that broke his nose and gave him a flash knockout, and then he right. fell into a triangle, and that's what happened. But he right. knocked the guy out twice before that, and the ref <laughs> just didn't stop it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So it's, right. it's weird. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, I knew uh, when that CM Punk fight was starting to happen, uh, like as the fight was going on, they were showing the guys walking, you know, uh, I just, the body language of Mickey Gall, I was like, Oh, I was like, CM Punk is about to get destroyed here. This guy is really confident versus CM Punk. Just, I was like, yeah, this ain't going to go. And so that makes a lot more sense now if Mickey Gall is that good. And that's just kind of understanding he's on that, on that different level of just headspace, uh, that, yeah, you know, I mean, top end competitors even- do. 
after his fight with CM Punk, he took out another big name in the UFC as far as uh, pay-per-view prospect and Sage Northcutt handled him very decisively. So uh, Mickey Gall is really good. I don't think he's like a perennial top 15 guy. He has some ways to go, but he's also still young, but he is good. So it's hard to say like CM Punk sucks because any one of us listening would get worked by Mickey Gall. So that's not a fair, accurate representation of CM Punk's fighting skills. However, it's still stupid that he's fighting in the UFC because Dana White and that's going to fight tangent here, but I just want to make this one point during the media week. That is this UFC fight sure. card. Yeah. He said, if your goal is not to be in here and fight the best and become a champion, then you need to go find somewhere else to fight. And I just want to point out that 39 year old CM Punk yeah. is not in here to win championships. Yeah. He's in here because it's a fun hobby and you are about pay-per-views, which I get, but it's still stupid. You know, it's just, I, I don't, you're, you're, a, you're a fraud, Dana White. You're a fraud. <laughs> I just don't like how much of a fraud he is. I love the guy, kind of, but I hate him too. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I love him because it's like, he's passionate about what I'm passionate about. But then his business practices are so bad. So bad. He is such a bad business person hey, that it yeah. makes me aggravated. And not like a business person. His moral fiber is just bad. Yeah. But I'd probably hang out with him. You're right. Yeah, you talk to you him know? for hours. Yeah, I'd be pen pals with oh, him. I would, I would be his friend and just take all the hate that comes along with being his friend. That's probably what my relationship would be like with Dana White. Tim and Tom. We've got two guests later coming up that we're going to talk about veterans and, you know, veteran suicide. And and these people are calling representing the Moral Injury Association of America and specifically about a Kansas City veteran writing, uh, basically seminar program uh, that aims to help veterans uh, by sharing some of their experiences. And you just got to listen to it. We have Cindy McDermott and Nick Lopez coming up in the next segment. Uh, we've already pre-recorded this interview to let them get on with their evening. But, Tom, I, I think we had a... a great time learning about what they do definitely and it was really cool to get more insight on how they help people uh we've mentioned this millions of times uh on this podcast and the podcast we used to do but it's one thing to say you're going to help people another thing to actually take the action and do it and so you'll learn a little bit about how they're actually taking the action to help these veterans coming home uh trying to you know work through emotions trying to work through uh, issues that they've accumulated, uh, making us free. So, uh, it's really, uh, a great thing that they're doing. And, uh, there's even some, uh, spoiler alert. There's even some poetry towards yeah. the end. That's very powerful, very powerful. So stay tuned for that. Tim and Tom for our wheelhouse and what we like to talk about the biggest story from this past week, from last recording to this recording, even though they played two games, game one of the NBA finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the golden state warriors. First off, let's just, what was your overall take? We'll get into the incident itself, but what was your overall take of the first two games? And then specifically game one game one, uh, specifically surprised me because we talked about it on our last episode with Carrington Harrison of 610 sports. Uh, Go back and listen to that. If you missed it, still relevant. Um, it, we expected a beat down, but that LeBron's going to find a way to win them one. Right. 
I didn't think it would be game one that LeBron was going to find a way to win him, right? But it, all signs at the end of the game started pointing to that way, right? He's got 50 points. They're in position at the end of the game to go ahead. And Cleveland just Cleveland's themselves, and and just just kind of left me standing there going like this is great like it couldn't have you know I mean you couldn't have wrote this any better to just explode onto social media to make this somehow fun. Yeah, I thought it was such a like out of body experience to see how great it is of a player that LeBron James is right now. Yeah. Fifty one points. Right. Eight rebounds, eight assists. Are you serious? Are you at his, serious? Yeah, at his age, uh, you know what I mean? In a, in a, and yeah. against the greatest team ever assembled, talent yes. wise. Right. This is this is not like the Golden State Warriors were plagued by injury. Houston slipped on a banana peel, and the Oklahoma City Thunder have somehow made it to the uh, NBA Finals. No, this is the juggernaut the best team to ever be assembled yeah. with two-time MVP Steph Curry, one-time MVP and scoring t- champion Kevin Durant, two-time defensive player of the year Draymond Green, and a, their fourth option is a guy who put up 27 points in one quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And LeBron James put up 51 points. <laughs> and literally the only thing you have to do first at the end of the game is just – Make a free throw. Free throw. The, the first word is free. Yeah. It's free. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? And I understand. So I understand, right? Like the pressure of the situation. It is on the road. You're probably hearing the worst, most vile things that oh, yeah. sports fans are saying to you. Yeah, because you're at the opponent's another, stadium. Yep. Right. And that could be another podcast topic that we talk about, just how these people feel so self-entitled to just spew hatred. Oh, yeah, yeah. In right. the name of sport, and I want to be funny. Mm-hmm. So I get it. George Hill is hearing all of just the worst things in the world, probably, from the fans. And it's loud, hard to focus. And, hey, it's your turn to be in the moment. Uh, because I believe that's one thing that is not being looked at, right? So you have – the Cleveland Cavaliers and it's LeBron and others. Right. And you know, if that's said enough, you read it enough and you play like that, eventually it becomes that right. Right. And to me, that's a real thing that affects your game. It's you always deflect to someone else, right? right? Hey, LeBron will take, they all look at LeBron, right? So what do we do? It's, well, now the ball's in your hand yeah. and you go, well, wait a minute. I wasn't prepared for this because it yeah. was always go to LeBron. So I get it. You missed a free throw. Everyone's missed a free throw in their life. You happen to miss it at the yeah, absolute I've worst time of your life. Yeah. You've missed it at the absolute worst time in your life. You're probably never going to recover from this. Uh, you miss it. Yeah. People then, probably love you less now. Nick or not Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson also missed free throws, but then J.R. Smith. Here's why I'm so upset with this. Here's why I'm so upset Uh, I would be more empathetic to your situation, J.R. Smith, is if it was in the heat of the moment, right? So uh, it's back and forth, a steal, we're running up and down the court. You get the ball, mental laps, right? Right. But you had time to prepare, stand in the box. Everybody talk to, to each other. Up at, 
Right. But you could look up at the score. Yeah. You had that time. Yeah. And you still messed up. What are you doing, man? Yeah, like, that was that bad. is what I'm talking. About. I understand when it's all one person's team. You deflect and you say, "Well, LeBron will take care of it, right? I don't have to do this. LeBron will take care of it." And then when it comes to you, you go, "Oh man, I I uh, I dropped the ball." But don't take the ball and run the other way. Yeah. <laughs> a quick pop up would have if he would have jumped right back up, he could have floated that thing in there for the easy win. Yeah, it, or just or just hold on to it. Attempt it. Yeah, attempt yeah, it. Attempt it. Yeah. They're not going to score from there. So get it batting around at least, right? Put it up. Let them try to foul you. Do something. Do something. (laughs) Do something. And Clay Thompson, my favorite low-key thing about the whole uh, play is that I think Clay Thompson was also confused because he flares out as if they're going to, like, go on a fast break and dunk it. And so J.R. Smith runs the ball out. And Clay Thompson flares out as if he's going to be the wingman on a three-man weave and just starts running, not even guarding anyone. He doesn't guard anyone. So, J.R. Smith, you were so bad in your decision-making, you confused the other team to think that you were on their team. (laughs) I didn't see that. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. Watch that again. Watch that clip again and just study Clay Thompson because Clay Thompson flares out as if he's going to run the fast break with the Cleveland Cavaliers, J.R. Smith, who then lies after the post game and says, Oh, I knew that the game was tied. No, you didn't. I, I yeah, no, you didn't. I also loved, uh, during that one fight when, uh, uh, it started between Steph and LeBron talking smack. And then like Clay Thompson comes in to like break it up at first. And then like, they kept talking. I felt like Clay was finally like, nah, man. Cause you know what? No, nah, you did do that. You know what I mean? And it was just like, then in on it also. And was like circling him. And I was like, Oh, this is getting good. This is getting fun. <laughs> it's like, I like this now. Yeah, that was, and that was a ton of frustration just by LeBron, in my opinion. Of oh, just, yeah. Hey, I'm I'm surrounded by amateurs, but I blocked your shot, so you're gonna hear that I blocked your shot. Yeah. Steph Curry is like, look at the scoreboard. We <laughs> yeah. outscored you 17 to seven in the in the overtime period. And then to go now into game two, that is where I think we saw the real series. So Golden State kind of got hit on their butt, didn't look great in game one. Kevin Durant in both games is a ghost. What yeah. are you doing? I get that you scored 25 points, but I don't even, you're seven foot and you're just disappearing when it comes to like crunch time right. each game. It's so bizarre. Um, but they made the adjust- adjustments. Uh, second game was a little bit uh, more of a, Hey, we're going to keep this double digit lead. It might get down to six, but then we'll eventually we'll run away. Steph Curry making shots that <sighs> I would, if we played NBA 2k, Tim, me and you played NBA 2K and you made the shots that Steph Curry was making in real life. I'd punch you in the arm. Yeah. Like you don't do that. Well, yeah. He's doing it in real life. I would think that you are somehow cheating. Yeah. It's a glitch in the game. It's NBA uh, jam where you run to the corner and shoot three. There is, there was the one where he realizes clock is running out. So he just throws it up and he's almost at half court. He did it from his hip. Man, like mm-hmm. he, I was like, man, and it was crisp. It was right in. It was just amazing. Like this is how I shoot basketballs. Like, I just, and like, oh. and it was good defense too. Like yeah. Kevin Love was on top of him. He was, you know, playing 
a a good stance. He had good, um, um, you know, lockdown ability. If Steph chose mm-hmm. to dro- drive the ball, like everything he did was perfect, and it was it was good D and better O, and it was just so. Oh my goodness! And here's the thing, though, is it's not as if uh, Draymond Green made that, and we go like, "Man, Draymond, we know that was all luck." Watch Steph Curry's pregame; he does that shot <laughs> right. nine hundred times. Yeah, it's he's... insane. He is insane. Tim and Tom. Tom, who doesn't love a late night or an early morning trip to IHOP? Right. I love IHOP so much that every Christmas, uh, my mom hates to cook first off. She just doesn't like it. And I totally get it. You work a hard day, uh, doing what she does. And then you're expected to cook. Ah, go kick rocks. So on Christmas, we go see a movie, but before we go see a movie, we go to IHOP and it's been a tradition for a few years now. It's amazing. It's so great. The IHOP staff is like really involved. Like they know, like, People are there because one, you know, they don't have the means or two, they just don't want to cook and they want someone else to do it. And they're cheerful and, you know, they're taking time out of their day to work and right. you know, earn a living. So it, it, it's a great atmosphere. I love going to IHOP on Christmas. So that's what I always think of. But you said you had some IHOP news here. International House of Pancakes. That's what the acronym is, right? And everybody loves it. it literally yes. is a house of pancakes when you go in there, right? I mean, there's already various types of syrups around because you're going to get some pancakes. You can get, it's almost like it's a default that you're going to get some pancakes with whatever you order. Even, even if you don't order pancakes, they'll ask you like, you want some more pancakes with your pancakes? Would you like a side of pancakes with that now? Or, Hey, you ordered a burger and fries. Would you like pancakes? Pancakes with that? Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, often I will get, I always get an omelet and then I'm like, okay, well I got to get a side of pancakes with that. Right. I mean, you know, you can't come to IHOP and not get some pancakes. Well, I'm going to read this uh, article off of Esquire.com. So these are their words, not mine. IHOP, the scene of many 3am drunken stacks of buttermilk pancakes and not much else is rebranding. As you and every other American within spitting distance of a strip mall knows, IHOP stands for the International House of Pancakes. But the chain announced Monday it is replacing the P with a B and becoming IHOB, the International House and of... it's a lowercase. It's a lowercase well, B, right? it's lowercase B. It's a lowercase B, and they say the International House of something. So the tweet from IHOP reads, for 60 pancaking years, we've been IHOP. Now we're flipping our name to IHOB, right? So they're taking the P and they're turning it. IHOB, right? The capital P is now a lowercase b. Find out what it could be on 6-11-18. So what are your thoughts here? It sounds like this is going to be breakfast, Breakfast, right? Because that's it, right? You can get omelets. You can get sausages. You can get, you know, pancakes. You can get whatever. You can get all sorts of stuff. My second guess, though, is Barack. It's going to be Barack Obama all day. No, 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 I think (laughs) my second guess would be bacon because bacon you can mass quantity make in seconds for, you know, a place like that. And, And who stereotypically doesn't love bacon. I'm not a big fan, but who doesn't love bacon, right? But bacon's right. the best thing in the world. So I think it's breakfast, but if it's not breakfast, it's going to be bacon. Well, yeah. But my thing is, why lowercase b? Mm-hmm. That's what throws me off. 
Yeah, it, it does look odd, and I wonder if this is going to be a long-term deal, or yeah, is or once a day or week every year, are they going to do like a big bacon fest uh, at the IHOP, so they become IHOB for a day? Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, so what's your gut say? Is this going to be Breakfast. a permanent IHOB? But do you think it's going to be a permanent IHOB, or is this a publicity stunt for 6 11 where IHOB, and then... You know, six eleven nineteen were IHOB, and they make this yearly thing where they switch the the format and they go to this IHOB thing. Or is this real? What do you think? I don't know, man. Because I feel like if you're gonna make the whole deal about hey, we do all kinds of breakfast, that feels like a long term rebranding, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you if it's gonna be a one off or even a, an occasional thing. Then I feel like it's got to be something more along the lines like you're saying. It's going to be the International House of Bacon, right? Like, because then it's for this day every year, we bacon this, bacon that, bacon this, bacon that, right? Like, come get your bacon syrup, come get your bacon whiskey or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah, not what they're doing at all. But there, but yeah. You get what I'm saying? Uh, bacon donuts, bacon right. uh, hash, bacon wraps, yeah. bacon everything, right? So, yeah. Bacon um, pancake. So, yeah, but I feel like it may be a rebranding more than anything else. So, International House of Breakfast, but then, yeah, why the little B? Why yeah, the little B? Why, that's why I think my gut it says this is a publicity stunt to create an annual event to where then they can run an ad campaign that starts on June 1st, for example, if they're going to continue the 611 theme, you know, and they can do a whole week of ads where it's like, get ready. I hob is back and it's bacon, uh, chocolate milk and it's bacon donuts and it's bacon pancakes and it's bacon, bacon, and it's triple bacon and all that stuff. That's what I hope. Cause I don't like the rebranding. I hop sounds so much better and it looks better. I hop. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, let's talk about Miss America. You ever, you, I, I, I doubt you're still actively watching the miss america pageant but you've at least watched it in your life i would imagine i've watched spoofs i've actually never watched the actual uh miss america pageant but so many things in pop culture have spoofed miss america from steve harvey messing up to just in general all of the stupidity that they did in the past and some of the viral moments where the girl answered the question with such as all of that stuff. Um, so I'm aware, but I've actually never seen it. But yeah. I definitely know kind of the premise of what's going on here. But what's so, up? What, what do you got? Well, CNN reports the next edition of the Miss America pageant will scrap swimsuits and will be more inclusive to women of all sizes uh, being announced Tuesday. Gretchen Carlson, the chairwoman of the Miss America Board of Directors, announced on Good Morning America that the event will no longer feature the swimsuit portion, which was iconically a major portion Uh of these events, Tom, you know, the swimsuit, whatever they call that part of the pageant was always a big deal, right? They'd all come out, they'd show up their swimsuit, everybody would clap or do whatever. And then they would be judged, literally judged. Right. And then, right. And that's okay. Yes. Right. right. So they're scrapping that and they'll say, we'll no longer judge our candidates on their outward physical appearance. Um, what are your initial thoughts, Tom? I think it's stupid. I think your outward physical appearance sometimes dictates your inward 
personal drive, right? I can sit in a chair and tell you that I'm a hard worker and that I make every second count. But if I'm a, and no offense to anyone out there who says that and then also fits this demographic, but you'll get my point as I finish. But if you're a hard worker and you say, I grind every day and you have roles and you kind of are frumpy and you don't really present yourself the best way, your words are kind of hollow. Now, if you say, I'm a grinder, I work hard every day, and you're in shape, well, now, to me, your words match your actions. So, let's judge by physical appearance, right? That means something. Also, physical appearance is what we all first base each other off of. Yeah. Anytime you walk in a room, you go, this person, this person, this person. And you know, by physical appearance, what people are, generally speaking. Secondly, it feels contradiction in this in the statement of well we're going to be more inclusive so we're get getting rid of this well what about the fitness models yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean well yeah, yeah what about your what about your definition of beauty if you're right. being inclusive show that the big and beautiful girl is beautiful by voting her a 10 or whatever it is right you know what i'm saying like, yeah well and that's sense. that's it there too i guess um a couple things there. Yeah. A, I don't mind that there's a, a, if you want to include in your competition of whatever it is, a swimsuit parse portion of it and the contestants are fine with that, then cool. Like that doesn't bother me. Right. Yeah. I agree with right. you. The, the, the idea of, you know, if that's what they want, that's what they want. Now, I also don't care if the Miss America board of directors says, well, we don't want that to be a part of our thing. I'm, all right, well, cool. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't exactly. care that yeah. either, right? Um, right. So, but if it's in response, like you said, just that, like, well, we're going to allow people of all sizes. Well, there's something to people of all sizes can still wear a bathing suit, and I can appreciate somebody right. who's a different size, but yet still is obviously, you know, there's in shape bigger people. There's exactly. and then there's fat bigger people. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a difference. You know, and but you know, hey. Maybe that's a different level of judgment. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I'm not – when they're like, hey, we're scrapping the swimsuits because we don't want to include that anymore, I'm like, cool, I get that. All right. Cool. You well, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't... Overall, my my reaction was, well, it's your thing, so do whatever you want. Right. But on the other hand, like if people like it and it's a driving force to get eyes on your product, which sells advertisement, which is the whole reason your for-profit business is running, then maybe keep it. Yeah. I get – I get, let's, you know, a, I don't want anybody exploiting, you know, sexualness to sell yeah, things, right? Yeah, I yeah. don't want that at all. But what I don't want is us being so afraid of that, that we can't have people looking sexy on TV because yeah. well, that's fun too. Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we all like that. You know what I mean? Like we all like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So let's just find a way to do it right and not do it in gross, seedy, disgusting ways. Right. Which this never felt like to me, but again, I, maybe that's me coming out of left field of not having seen it since I was a young kid and only barely even noticing what it really was. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not allowed to speak on it. I don't know. <laughs> or just not, you know, you know, knowing yeah, the most, but yeah, I don't, it feels, it feels like, in the in the wake of the Me Too movement, the pageant is trying to say, like, we're with you guys, see? And we got rid of this sexist competition when maybe the women were like, we love wearing the swimsuits. 
that was actually our best part. I can easily get ready for that part. It's the answering how I would deal with the conflict in the Middle East that I really hate doing. So, you know, we don't know what they were doing. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, and I just feel like physical beauty should be awarded, right? If you look good, great. It's just <laughs> like being smart. Not everyone's smart. Some people are good looking. Right. You know, like, we have balance. It's okay. It's okay to be beautiful. I hate that this, I feel like there's this movement of like, man, I gotta tell people that all the time. I'm like, Hey man, don't blame me, man. It's okay that I'm beautiful. Just like, you know, like it's okay, man. I literally, I literally have to tell Emily that every time we get into an argument, I'm like, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Yeah. I get it. It's okay. I I didn't choose this for myself. Right. But I feel like physical beauty should not be something that we're trying to cover up for inclusion of all. Right. Right. It's okay. Like you said, it's okay if they're again if everyone yeah, is a willing participant. Right, we don't have to hide the beautiful because people shame the not necessarily beautiful, right? Like we can exactly. also just stop shaming the not beautiful, right? And learn and learn what actually is beautiful and appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's a pendulum, right? So right. we they've said that the beautiful people make the the ugly people shameful or feel ashamed of themselves. So you know what we're going to do? We're not going to let the beautiful people let them be beautiful anymore. It's like, well, then no one wins right? because right? now we've got people who know that the other people are beautiful. And then the beautiful people can't flop their wings and be a peacock and say, look at me. Right. So now who's winning? No one. Right. Like I'll imagine if you couldn't look at Russell Crowe anymore because I look like this. Right. That sucks. I like looking at Russell. Right. Crow I know you do. <laughs> One of the Ryans, right? The Ryans are still hot, aren't they? The Reynolds and uh, uh, what's the other one? Is Who's the Ryan? notebook guy? Yeah. Isn't that Ryan Who's Reynolds? The... No, Ryan Reynolds is uh, is Deadpool. Right. And well, then, then who's the notebook? Uh, who's the other Ryan? I don't know. We don't know our attractive men, but you know. Paul Ryan? <laughs> Jeez, No. <laughs> Gosling, there it is, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling, right? Gosling. Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling, right? The Ryans, the battling Ryans. Yeah, but she was more attractive. Who do you think? Oh, jeez, man, I don't know. Gosling. Um, uh, ooh, who? Who'd you say? I said Gosling. I was gonna say that. That was the Notebook one, right? I know my wife loves the Notebook, yeah. so it's got to go that guy. Yeah, he, he's a he's a more well-rounded guy. Ryan Reynolds is a little bit too fratty for me. You know. Yeah, I got you. I like that. I and like how when Ryan Gosling gets angry like he did in the notebook, he gets more attractive. And I like that in a guy. Right, right. See, so if I couldn't if you couldn't watch that because I'm sitting over here going like, Look, man, man boobs are okay too, right? Like Or because you have man boobs, you can't let Ryan Gosling be shirtless. Tim and Tom. Is that all we got? <laughs> Yeah, man, I just got into how I like when guys get angry and it makes them more attractive. And yeah, it's fun. Women, I don't know. Man, this is a weird, fun show, right? We all just love people and love talking silly. So, there it is. There it is. And we'll talk less silly in the next segment when we talk to Cindy McDermott and Nick Lopez and their writing seminars for Kansas City, well, just veterans and, and military service family members working with the Moral Injury Association of America. We'll do that in the next segment when we come back. Tim and Tom. 
And before we get serious, here's a fun fact. You're 10 times more likely to be bitten by a New Yorker than a shark. They wanna shoot me down. down. Oh, he think he better than us. They gon' shoot me down. down. Said he's so fly. They gon' shoot me down. down. They'll be posted outside just to shoot me down. Don't say nothing to police for they shoot me down. down. They'll be marching in the streets if they shoot me down. down. Tell me, listen, don't speak or they shoot me down. down. What these people don't see, you can't shoot me down. I'm bulletproof. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, we've talked about it uh, several times on the show here. Uh, I personally, myself, a veteran of the armed forces, and we've always uh, kind of held veterans in, in high esteem due to that. Um, well, at least me due to that. You, because you want to be just like me, so that's understandable. So you want to just do whatever I do. So, uh, you know, so now, uh, today, we're going to bring on somebody to talk uh, something that's kind of, it's talked about, you know, when we talk about veterans, but... You know, not really in depth, I feel a whole lot of is helping veterans who may be going through things when they return. Right. I mean, you hear a lot about that, but I often don't hear a lot about what is actually being done in that regard. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's always good to say it in uh, a general sense of like, hey, we should help these guys and, and women when they come back. But then it's another thing to actually put a program together and actually do something about it. So, uh, yeah, really excited about this interview. And I'll let you kind of introduce and uh, let's get it started. Right. So we've got two people on hand even, but I, I think we're going to start talking to first. We'll have Cindy McDermott of the Moral Injury Association of America. They've got writing programs, Tom, which is, is aimed to help veterans and then you know they do all sorts of other things that we'll probably get into here uh but we'll just cindy you're you're on with us yes i am thanks for having us today no problem you've also brought along nick lopez who will uh get to talk to uh more about obviously but how are you today i'm good thank you for having us so can let's get a quick skinny i mean you kind of gave it to me off air here but can you kind of sum up here what exactly brief overview of some of the stuff you guys do Sure. Uh, we can start first with the Moral Injury Association of America, because that's kind of the, uh, the linchpin for everything that we're trying to do here in Kansas City. And uh, first, let me add, too, that Nick and I are both uh, veterans and very proud of our service. I was in the Navy and uh, retired out in 2006. And Nick, you were in the Marines? Yep. I was in the Marines from uh, 2005 to 2013, also served overseas in Iraq in 2008-2009. So we really, you know, are, are very closely tied to the veteran community and are looking for ways that we can offer uh, outreach to our fellow, you know, airmen, sailors, uh, soldiers, and Marines. Um, and uh, the Moral Injury Association of America is certainly one way that we can do that. And you've probably heard of PTSD, but moral injury, we feel, is a much more far-ranging issue for veterans to deal with. And part of that is because they don't know a lot about it. And so they're uh, just really beginning to explore that more, uh, what it is and, and how do you treat that. But a very simple explanation would be uh, an action or a lack of action that goes against your core values as a person. And because of that, it causes you great uh, shame and guilt. 
and we feel that the shame of moral injury is a significant contributor to the issue of veteran suicide. Um, so, um, you know, every day the estimates are that 20 vets um, kill themselves, take their lives, and we feel that many of those uh, today are doing so because of moral injury. And we know that um, many times when you see moral injury, it will be combined with PTS, and that combination can be absolutely um, uh, devastating to a vet and um, actually shoot the suicide rates even uh, higher into the air than, than what you see. But whenever you think about moral injury, certainly um, you can think of killing in battle definitely one that would go against the moral uh, fiber that you've been um, taught about since you were a child. You don't kill other people. You can also think about seeing death on a battlefield and how you deal with that. Mortuary units gathering remains uh, are also a prime group that uh, can suffer from moral injury. And now, because of the changing technology in warfare, drone operators who can be thousands of miles away from the battlefield can suffer from a moral injury because of seeing the effects of what um, their battle is, is doing to civilians and also to, uh, to soldiers on the opposing, the opposing field. So what we're trying to do is develop intensive group therapy sessions that uh, veterans can attend, and they're led by a licensed group counselor and then also a chaplain from the military. And uh, the sessions are uh, designed so that eventually they find self-forgiveness. So that's really uh, what it's all about. We know that um, they're never going to come back from war the same, but at least we can give them some tools so that they can negotiate their path, or what we like to say, negotiate their brokenness when, when they return back home and um, you know, reintegrate into society. Because we also see that whenever they lose that military camaraderie and that connection, that also, um, you also see the numbers of suicide uh, and alcoholism and um, divorce uh, also uh, skyrocket during that, that time frame. So to go a little bit deeper into what the uh, organization is about, what's one of the more challenging aspects of this organization? Obviously, you know, getting veterans to open up about the issues that they have is going to be a task in itself. But as far as an organizational uh, standpoint, is it awareness that you guys are available and willing to talk to veterans? What do you guys see as your challenge in 2018? I think that the awareness part of that is incredibly important for us and a huge challenge because it is so new uh, in, in modern times. We've known of moral injury and it has been written about um, since the beginning of warfare, but we have just not recognized it as an issue. So for a military member to say, yes, I have moral injury, that requires a lot of education and a lot of awareness to be able to get the word so they even know what they're suffering from. Many times it will be diagnosed as PTS when it is not PTS at all. It is actually moral injury. And some of the treatments for moral injury can be um, 
cannot be the right kinds of treatments to follow for, um, for moral injury. So there's certainly uh, that awareness. Um, and then I think there's also the uh, awareness that we need to build inside of the community of mental health professionals that are also providing services to the vets. Uh, the VA is really working hard to be able to, to help answer that call and to help answer their needs from a mental health standpoint uh, for the military members. And actually, we've modeled our program on the VA uh, building spiritual strength that is part of the Minneapolis uh, VA, and uh, we've modeled our work after them. So um, there seems to be pockets of excellence out there that can help um, our, um, our soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines, but um, getting all of those pieces connected uh, so that we can deliver the right kind of care uh, is very, very, uh, can be difficult to do. So I served some time in, at Lonstel Regional Medical Center in Germany where uh, a lot of service members who were injured overseas would come and if they needed R&R or needed you know, hospital care. And I would talk to a lot of these, these folks and you could sense what you're talking about, right? Some sort of moral injury, something that they feel they shouldn't have done or that they led to something bad happening or, or someone... Mm. But in active military, the VA's come a long way with mental health things, but could obviously, you know, could arguably use uh, to come more ways. But in the active military, is that a bit of an issue also? Because it, it almost feels like there's a stigma of of not addressing those sorts of things, right? There, there's an implied toughness you're supposed to have and those sorts of things. Is that part of where maybe some of this gets bottled up? Yeah, I, I think that's a good observation. And one of the things that I've read is that, the, and I'm just going to use the Army as an example, the Army wants soldiers who have high uh, moral values, but they also want soldiers who can kill. <laughs> so it, it's definitely, um, you know, it, it's, such an uh, seesaw, I guess you could you could uh, you could call it as far as emotions and how they deal with those things. Um, you know, after they've been involved with these kinds of incidents, and you know, the other thing is too is that sometimes they'll blame themselves. And how many times did you hear this when you know you were at the hospitals? Where if only I would have done this. Oh, Joe yeah. would have made it. If only I would have acted and done this. You know, and so they're carrying around a lot of that, that uh, guilt and that shame, and that's what really separates um, PTS from uh, moral injury is the guilt and shame aspect of it. And they do uh, share a lot of things in that they both self-medicate and they might have sleepless nights and that sort of thing. Um, but that is the guilt and shame that they feel that then uh, manifests itself in um, I can't forgive myself, and so I can't forgive myself, I can't deal with life, and I start self-alienating myself from, um, from my family and from my community, and then I eat my gun. So, um, and that's what we're trying to, to address is with our intensive group therapy programs, but we're also, another segment of our healing is offering these writing programs to military members and also veteran family members. So we don't exclude the family member from our programs. And that's where uh, we host um, writing workshops or writing sessions, 
monthly critique groups, and uh, we encourage them to write about their experiences as part, as one tool in that healing process. And so um, the Kansas City Vets writing team, of which Nick and I are our partners on, we're really focused on um, helping teach the vet how to write in a creative or uh, it could be a professional or technical manner, how to express themselves and how to do it well. And hopefully that will help them um, build awareness about what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. And then they use that as another tool um, to help them in their, their healing process. We're not a therapeutic group. I would never, you know, send someone that was needing intensive therapy here. We're uh, a bunch of veterans that sit around the table and, and review works from other people, and then we'll have skilled instructors come in at some of our workshops that we're, we're, we're hosting and uh, teach them how to write. But really it's a lot of the creative expression, which we know uh, can help in the healing process, and then the camaraderie that being together in a group and being amongst friends and in a non-judgmental group um, can have uh, positive, positive impacts for uh, for the vets and their family members. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, and let's get you know a little bit, uh, I guess, personal with this question uh, that's coming up. What is both of yours favorite part about being associated in this program? What What do you guys? have found is is your favorite either success story that you've seen from someone else or that you've experienced yourself oh well so i've been with it since the beginning so we started we're into our fifth year of planning and we have probably had we've had numerous workshops and we do the monthly critiques and all that we've probably had more than 200 vets come through and participate uh, in our programs and so I just love seeing uh, the success that, that the vets can have in their writing and, of course, making new friends. And, you know, one of my most favorite success stories is sitting right here next to me <laughs> and Nick and, you know, just the blossoming that we're seeing with, with him and his writing. And, um, you know, I, I think that he has some, uh, some definite um, uh, good things to add to poetry and prose out there uh, in the military or whatever uh, genre that he's writing in. I would have to say for uh, for me, the best part of it is not only seeing the uh, veteran writers improve in their writing, um, but I had one veteran tell me, you know, he, he was a Vietnam veteran, and slowly but surely he was able to you know, release what he experienced and he saw in Vietnam. Um, and I think that's really amazing that, you know, this program's allowed him to do that. So that's a, a good thing to kind of hit on. So you're in a writing workshop taken as just a writing workshop, even if it wasn't in peppered with this uh, veterans and mental health and moral injury stuff. Um, uh, those get into very kind of techniques of how to, you know, form or how to kind of brain dump and so on and so forth. Do you guys get into a whole bunch of that or is it more focused on, let's just encourage them to at least start writing something because a lot of them, you know, as we kind of discussed earlier, maybe don't want to talk about it. Is there, is there kind of a, a line to walk in that regard? I don't see it as, as a line that we're walking. I see it more as the individual kind of decides 
along the way how much and how he or she participates in the program. We just finished up a workshop, an all-day workshop in uh, April at Mid-Continent Library up at Woodmead at the Story Center, and we had nearly uh, 30 vets sign up, uh, and well, actually 33, and that is really over our limit of what we really want to take on because we feel like we can't give a whole lot of personal care once we get to those kinds of numbers. But then again, you know, some aren't able to make it because, of, you know, other things come up in their, their life and stuff. So I think we've actually settled right around 30 that, that made it. And the day is filled with a lot of instruction. You know, this is how you get started. This is how you self-edit. This is how you revise. This is and, you know, we have college-level instructors that are um, volunteering their time to come and teach these different courses, and they're very successful at what they, they've done, what the instructors have done. And, uh, and then inside of that, they'll ask them to write. And uh, the interesting thing is that um, they will be asked to share if they want to. Mm -hmm. And so they're not forced to share their writing. Um, so, you know, if you're a little shy about what you've done or you're a little unsure, that's okay because we don't really force the issue. It's just, you know, hey, would you like to read what you've done? And honestly, uh, Nick, whenever we get the evaluation back, that's the thing that the vets like the most is the sharing and listening of, uh, to, other, to other vets about their writings. Yeah, definitely. We're, you know, very surprised by that, um, and, you know, that's, one thing we have to work around and figure out is that, you know, we thought, okay, they're going to be writing about these very serious things that happen in their life, and they actually do want to share, and for us, you know, be able to give them that platform to be able to do that and give them that encouragement. Mm -hmm. That's a, a key thing, the platform. I love that you brought that up, Nick, because um, in May, then we had uh, the vets that wanted to participate in a veteran's reading so in front of the public, uh, they got to read some of their prose and their poetry that they, uh, that they worked on and composed during this, um, these weeks and the workshop. And so they got to stand up in front of people and, and read their work. We had close to three dozen people that they invited their friends and their family. It was so much fun to see how proud they were to share their work um, with other, you know, with their family. So that was really a highlight, I think, for me, um, for, for the time that I've been working in it. I think that was a real highlight for me because we've never really done that before. So that was really, it was really nice. And it was a great outcome for the best. I'm sure. And that was the first event? No, that was the first actually, time you guys have done that? We, we, that was the first time we did a reading where they read the work that they gotcha. had done in, in a public forum. So that was the first time. We've actually had workshops beginning in 2013, and usually it's the spring and the fall. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't say how grateful we are for the support of the Missouri Humanities Council um, the Kansas City Public Library, the Plaza Library in particular, that branch, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and um, the Mid-Continent Library, the Writer's Place, um, and Moral Injury Association of America. We put money into the program 
because what we do is we like to give honorariums to the instructors so that, um, you know, we can get them back the next year because this takes a lot of time out of their day because it's not like they just stand up in front of the class and take an hour and make a presentation. They're preparing and getting ready and trying to tailor their, um, their teaching plans to the veteran and to the veteran family members. So um, we're really, we're really uh, pleased with the support that we've gotten. And this year, thanks to the support of the Veterans, uh, veterans of Foreign Wars, we're actually um, bringing in on September 15th, so that's a Saturday, and it's in the morning beginning at 10.15 at the Plaza Library, we are bringing in a panel of experts uh, on the invisible wounds of war, writing through injury. And it's going to be Dr. Rita Brock, who is the national leading researcher on moral injury. We're going to have Dr. George Dent from the Kansas City VA. He's a psychologist there. Uh, we have a Brian a Turner, who is a Guggenheim Fellowship recipient and a nationally acclaimed, acclaimed poet and prose. He wrote the book, uh, Hear Bullet and my life as a foreign uh, country. Hmm. He will be there, and we'll have H.C. Palmer, who is a uh, nationally acclaimed local Kansas City uh, poet, and we're going to have a panel discussion about um, the invisible wounds of war, writing through injury, and we're going to open it up to the public. It's an educational opportunity, and then we'd also like to have uh, writers groups join us so that we're going to hear from H.C. and from Brian Turner how do you successfully write about moral injury in your romance book or your mystery book or, you know, your military or your historical, or maybe you're writing an article for, you know, a local newspaper or something. So the idea is that uh, we also educate them on how do you write about um, a, a a character, a main character who has moral injury or an invisible wounds of war. So that's going to be the, the, the 15th. That's open to the public. And then Brian is going to take the afternoon and teach directly uh, to veterans. And we'll have a session where the vets will have to sign up. And, and then we'll continue on for the next four Saturdays with three hours of uh, learning prose and poetry to get ready for another big veterans public reading that we're going to do later on in November. So we're still working on those details, trying to pull them all together. So um, that we're really excited about that. Maybe we can come back on the show whenever we get a little closer to, uh, to help promote that a little bit more. It sounds like you guys got a lot of activities and a lot of good support, and that's a, that's a really cool thing. So before we let you get like the plugs and, and stuff like that, uh, if I remember correctly, you said uh, you had something that uh, Nick was going to share with us. So I have a few pieces here, poems that I wrote. Uh, I read them at that May 3rd reading that we had recently, and that was actually the first time I've ever shared uh, my poetry publicly. Um, okay. Also in front of my family members and friends, but none of them have ever heard or knew that I wrote poetry because um, this group that I was able to be able to do that. So well, that's great. Uh, yeah. So here we go. So the first one is called today's first 19 more to come. An American son emerges from his mother's womb, soaked in the blood of democracy. His first sight, an unknown world, his first breath, a scream over there. Now a soldier 
with M16 in hand, his enemy's blood flashes before his eyes, his enemy's final breath, a haunting scream. He returns home, yearning to forget the world he now knows. He tastes the resolution against his lips. He escapes the nightmares of war with the scream of a bullet. And then this next one's called A War Lost. An American mother lowers her son into the abyss. His body returned, his soul MIA, a flag in 21 rounds, all she has left. This war was lost, not on the front line, but with 20 veterans take their own lives a day. With the enemy victorious, they meet again, looking into each other's cold, dead eyes, her son a patriot, or just a statistic. And the last one called The End. On his last day, a sandstorm blows in, carrying the blood and his bones of this war, and tears begin to fall from the faces of the dead, painting the landscape with crimson mud. He anticipated his death every second of the war. Total awareness or total madness kept him alive. The replacements have arrived. He, pa- he passes them by in a single file line, boarding the C-17 for home, his soul still caught in the mud. So that was some really powerful stuff, to be honest with you. And one thing I want to know is you touched on it right before you started the poetry is that that was one of your first times sharing uh, your poetry with others in a public setting like that. So can you kind of talk us through what that was like personally for you? I mean, I know it was probably you know gratifying to get that to others, but were you nervous going up there, you know, presenting this work of your own to others or talk us through about uh, what it was like and then even share with us a little bit after you were done, the response you got. Um, Yeah, I was definitely uh, nervous before I went up there. Um, But to be honest, you know, I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. I have a a great support system um, from my family and my friends uh, and I just felt like this is something that I had to do. Uh, to be honest with you, I lost my father a uh, year from July 1st. Mm. And that was one of my inspirations to join this group and start sharing my poetry. And so I just, it was just something that I had to get off my chest and share. And uh, I think that veteran suicide people, we talk about it, but we don't get in depth of really what is going on with the veteran, what's in their head. Um, and I think you need to be blunt with those words to express and show people what, what veteran suicide really is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a big subject that, that I'm glad folks like you are out there kind of drawing attention to and actually, you know, logistically doing things to help. And Nick, I appreciate you sharing uh, your stuff on there and, and glad you were able to kind of uh, get involved in such a program. Um, if we want to find out more, people want to volunteer, if they want to come right, what, how, what's the best way to start finding out more? I would suggest that they uh, visit the website moralinjuryassociationofamerica.org and there is a section on the veteran writing programs and kind of goes over some of the details and uh, a little bit on the September 
uh, event and getting ready for that. We're not taking registrations yet, but it is uh, got a lot of information on there. There's a contact uh, link on there that you can send um, an, an email to uh, its info, and it goes right to me, so I'll get it. And if you want more information about the program, um, you know, certainly we're always looking uh, for instructors, college-level instructors that would be willing to um, offer their knowledge and their experience. We would definitely take a look at that. Um, and uh, we're open for past or present military members and veteran family members. So we're serving uh, two different groups. Well, that's great. I mean, we appreciate you guys coming on here and, and talking with us about some of what you do and, and definitely should reach back out to us, uh, you know, to when, to get the word out about future events. We'd love to talk to you some more. Super. We'd love to do that. For sure. <laughs> yeah, thank, yeah, thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, some powerful stuff they're doing over there uh, with the Moral Injury Association of America and, of course, their Kansas City Veterans writing workshops uh, and just encouraging veterans to talk about some of this. Because, we, you know, we've said that. Veteran suicides, uh, a big problem everybody wants to talk about. But I guess, you know, I never really knew, well, what, what does that mean? How do we, you yeah. know? Yeah, and another thing that I really liked that we touched on at the start was that, you know, it's one thing to say that we're going to do this, we're going to help these people that are coming back from traumatic experiences like, you know, uh, being in war and things of that nature, and it's another thing to actually do it. So it was really great to uh, to hear that they uh, are taking it upon themselves to really take the initiative, help these people where you know the hardest thing like they said is just to get them to open up right that's the first step and then from there then the, the real work happens so it's really great to uh hear a bunch of uh, exciting things that are happening with them and then also for them to share with others you know it, it, it's also you know uh it's great to share amongst yourselves but that's almost like a safe space right right then when you share with the public that's another step that they're taking and so to see them taking steps like that uh it's really great really proud of uh the work they're doing there well i'm glad uh they came on here to share here also because that's going to increase the word of their organization to at least our moms so definitely right all right we'll come back and tom's gonna tell you uh more than just our moms listen right i hope so yeah i mean at least grandma does all right we will be back uh and tom's gonna talk about some fun events coming up and we'll talk about our favorite things of the week when we come back to tim and tom fun fact cats headbutt people if they make them feel safe or if they trust them they do this to people they usually see as family that's the ground that you don't know i'm always going off all work no play one day i promise it's gonna pay off so set in my way swear i may never take a day off uh-uh no way they taking shots man they off way off treat every game like it's the playoffs right all work no play man i may never take a day off Man, I may never take a never take a never take We only elevate, we elevate us. Man, I may never take a never take a never talk. We only elevate, we elevate us. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, uh, busy weekend. Uh, you had a, a less busy weekend, although you did engage in some activities. But what is there to do, man? Like, we want to get out. It's summertime, like you said. 
not officially, but whatever. Yeah, it's officially to the Tim and Tom show, right? 2018, the year of the new idea and the year of the new seasons. It is summertime in our world. Mm-hmm. So here is a well-rounded, I'm pretty proud of this list of events that I'm about okay. to give you. So right. let's just start it off right on June 9th. Okay. okay. June, June 9th. 9th at Arrowhead Stadium, Ooh. which is Arrowhead Stadium 1, Arrowhead Drive, Kansas City, Missouri. Starting at 8 a.m., it is the Shatterproof 5K Kansas City. So what this is, it's a 5K, and the purpose of it is to rise up against addiction. Mm. Here's some fun stats for you because as we just talked to uh, our guest tonight, they shared some some things about uh, military suicide. On top of that, 174 Americans die every day from drug overdose. That is incredible. That is a huge number. So what this is doing is to first take out the stigma of addiction, right? Just because you're an act doesn't mean that you're some type of outcast and, you know, need to be shunned. They want to include you in a 5k or just people being around other, you know, people to help you. Right. So, uh, they're, they're raising money. They're also raising money and awareness for um, rising up against addiction. Uh, it's a great cause. Again, it's at Arrowhead Stadium, which, I mean, it's Arrowhead. Yeah, you know, it's a great place. There? Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, Priest Hall, Great backdrop. Green, Joe Montana, Marcus Allen, all the amazing stuff. And you get to see inside the stadium. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> did I say something wrong? Yeah, you totally did. Oh, sorry. I thought we were right. throwing out names. Uh, Chiefs. No. Right? No, that's not. Nope. 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 Stop that. Okay. Stop that with your mouth. So it starts at 8 a.m. Uh, <laughs> Name of your sex the... team? All right. Never. <laughs> hey. Uh, uh, the site opens at 8 a.m., but the 5K actually starts at 930. Uh, and it's a walk run. So feel free to run if you want, but also feel free to walk and just enjoy uh, being a large group of people, uh, having a great time, raising awareness and raising money for something that is definitely needed. All right, so that's the first event. Second event. Now, this one started, this is a few days, but I'm going to highlight on June 10th mm-hmm. because I gave you something on June 9th. Now, June 10th, here you go. Remember the movie Dirty Dancing? Yes. Well, you're in luck. Okay. Because on Sunday, June 10th, at the Starlight Theater, Dirty Dancing comes to Kansas City. Ooh, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to dance dirty. One of the most iconic scenes in a movie, right? The the run and the mm-hmm. lift and the ah. And he didn't drop her. The time of my life. Oh, man, I'm such a good singer. Yeah, very, very good. This week. You're the best. Yeah. So I tell you what, if you don't like uh, a good old night at the Starlight Theater, I don't know, something's wrong with you, but enjoy it. June 10th, <laughs> Dirty Dancing, Starlight Theater. And if you want tickets... Uh, go to that's live Um, great time. It's going to be awesome. All right. Now let's fast forward to the next weekend. This is a big one in Kansas city. Okay. Okay. June 15th and 16th. It is going to be almost now a staple in the Kansas city summer series. Boulevardia. Yes. Now, I tell you what, there is going to be so much music here. We have Manchester Orchestra, Madison Ward and the Mama Bear, Tech Nine, Lee Fields, Mackenzie Nicole, the MGDs, Project H, 
Clay Hughes, the Kansas City Beer fi- Fighters. I don't even know who they were, but that sounds like a fun band. Yes. Line earns. I mean, this is going to be insane, right? This yes. is crazy. That was just Friday. You want to hear Saturday? Yes. Okay. Hembry, <laughs> Sir Sly. Yes, you are. I don't know who they are. Guster, I do know who that is. Who else? Me like bees. I like them. They're fun. Run with it. Local band. Yeah. Uh, Bleachers is going to be the band that closes on Saturday night. So Friday night, you got Tech Nine. Saturday night, you got Bleachers. That is going to be fun. Boulevardia. Yes. Go to it. If you want information, go to boulevardia.com. June 15th and the 16th. Quickly becoming a staple of Kansas City Summer. That's what I just said, and I yep. like that you repeat me. Yep. Awesome. All right, here we go. Now, also on June 16th and 17th, and this is going to be a day event. Starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday, 10 a.m. on Sunday. Um, it is going to be the Crown Center Antique Festival. Ooh. So join us, them. I'm reading from their page. <laughs> we um, will not be there, Tim and Tom. We no, might be there. No. I might go. No, I, yeah, it's free. It's free. It's free. I'm <laughs> there then. Yeah. So – uh, join us at Crown Center Square. Uh, the 16th Annual Antique Festival features pottery, china, toys, linens, collectibles, furniture, jewelry, books, and much more. Again, it's a free festival in front of Crown Center, June 16th and 17th. Again, Saturday, 9 to 6, Sunday, 10 to 4. That's a fun long day, and well, it's yeah. free. And anybody can appreciate uh some antiquing once in a while right i mean you go around and you see all the cool things that are laying around you're like look at this thing you know i mean like all throughout you just get lost and going like look at this and look at what this person did with this and look at this it's an amazing time now now let me clarify it's free to go but you have to buy the of things. course not just giving away stuff <laughs> right yeah. sure, you know, come on down and get your free stuff. antiques <laughs> right, yeah so uh uh, and the weather's supposed to be now. We're still a little bit far out from this date, um, but I like to give you enough notice. Uh, but the weather is scheduled to be all right, not too crazy, at least with the heat. So uh, it should be an enjoyable time. And then after you go to the antique festival, just pop into Crown Center, get yourself some ice cream, uh, get yourself um, some orange Julius's, I think they got in there, and uh, enjoy the whole Crown Center experience. All right. Tim's favorite. Did you ever make one of those packs with somebody a long time ago uh, or know somebody who did one of these where you've seen it in the movies, the whole, uh, hey, if we're not, you and I, uh, if we're not married by whatever age, we'll we'll marry each other, right? That kind of oh, thing, yeah. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We made that. Yep, we made that. <laughs> we made that? Oh you, mean, oh, you mean other people. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Oh, people always said that. Right. <laughs> but you've heard the tired old thing, right? You've seen it, right? Well, right. this on today.com uh, is an article about a couple that did just that. Longtime friends make good on a pact to marry at 50 if still single. Uh, so they got married 37 years after first dating in high school, right? So, several decades ago, lifelong friends and high school sweethearts Kimberly Dean and Ron Palmer made a pact. They would marry each other if neither had tied the knot by the time they had both reached 50. Dean is now 51, and Palmer is 54, and the pair from St. Paul, Minnesota got married last week. So, it says uh, they met in high school and started dating when he was a freshman, and uh, when Dean was a freshman and Palmer was a senior. After high school, I wanted to go sow my oats. I thought at that young age, girls were a dime a dozen and I could get along with anybody. So we broke up, but we broke up on good terms and we remain friends. 
Uh, whenever one experienced a relationship breakup, he or she would ring up the other one. After one particular call, the two then struck the deal. Said it was a complete joke. We were both single at the time, and we both just fed up with dating and all the craziness that goes with that. The two even got into a practical discussion about their work-related benefits. Palmer, an iron worker, bemoaned that he had no one to leave his inheritance to, and Dean, who works for the local school district, jokingly offered to help. Said, just leave it to me, she said. Uh, and then she was divorced, had two children. Palmer also divorced, but had no kids. And that's why they made the pact. So it was something along the lines of, uh, once you hit 50, if we're both single, maybe we should try this thing again. Time passed. Tom, obviously, you know what I mean? They stayed in contact. Well, they made good on the deal, started dating. And here we are, uh, married. What a cool story is that? Doesn't that seem like a Hallmark movie? Right. Somebody's got to make this movie, right? I mean, this was like a real deal. Uh, that happened here and it just goes to show you know sometimes uh you know the the maybe the the road to your uh lifelong you know whatever is 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 a bit rocky man you know what i mean it's not always exactly how you thought it would play out right and to throw a little bit of shade on that story uh yeah. those kids check the dna because it could be the new husband <laughs> That's right. saying, you guys you guys have been friends a long time. Uh, right, yeah. Always yeah. always just ringing each other when you're lonely. Yeah, man. Like, oh, gosh, I can't find anybody just as great as you. Maybe someday at 50, you guys should have just did this 40 years ago and got this done and stop torturing yourselves. Yeah, maybe what are you if doing? Kids are, maybe if those kids are redheads and this new guy, <laughs> this guy is a redhead, maybe uh, we should be yeah. doing a DNA test. <laughs> right, yeah. Tom's favorite. My favorite thing of the week, and you might have seen it, it was such a classic uh, classic move. Kudos to the city of Oakland. But yeah. after game one, which we talked about in the first segment, where J.R. Smith ran the ball the other way for either going on a fast break himself, forgetting the score, and just going brain dead for a second, or whatever it is, cost the Cleveland Cavaliers at least victory in regulation and then over time they were just deflated and got outscored 17 to seven. So going into game two, my favorite thing of the week is the city of Oakland, golden state warriors fans chanting MVP and giving a standing ovation to J.R. Smith during player introductions. Good job, Oakland. That is pretty great. I didn't catch it at first. We were uh, just sitting down to start to watch the game and they were doing the introductions. And so I, I don't know what else I was doing at the moment. Kind of also, and I heard that they were chanting something when they announced Jared Smith, and my wife was just like, "That's fun." They're chanting MVP, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's perfect!" It's like that's that is great. Yeah, that is what sports uh, can really do for you, right? I mean, those moments you're just like, "Yeah," you don't get that anywhere else, right? It is awesome. I love it. Good job, Oakland. So that is my favorite thing of the week. Quick, neat, and funny. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, we had a great conversation with Cindy McDermott and Nick Lopez out of the uh, Moral Injury Association of America. Uh, Definitely, if you're interested in that, if you're a veteran yourself or a family member or you want to help, go back, listen to where to get a hold of them more, get involved, do what you can. We also uh, learned of Wi-Fi Toes. And, uh, you know, swimsuit competitions. We talked, you know, we talked about a whole bunch of good fun stuff. The NBA finals. Uh, what do you think, man? They're going to sweep them? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, that's how it goes. All right. Well, maybe we'll talk about, uh, some more of the games when we come back next week for Tim. Oh, you know what? No, next week is going to be uh, the Spanish announce table. We're going to do another uh, special episode. We got money in the bank coming up. So if you're a wrestling fan, stay tuned money next week. Money in the bank. 
Shorty, what you drank? Come right. on with it. Then we'll follow up with the finals on the next Tim and Tom. Fun fact, Genghis Khan killed about 11% of the entire world's population. Tim and Tom.